Welcome to Cross the Margin, the podcast. I am your host, Michael Shields. Cross the Margin, the podcast, is a proud member of the Osiris Media Group. Check out all their offerings at OsirisPod.com. Today, we are here to examine how QAnon became a movement, cult, and conspiracy theory of everything through an interview with the author of The Storm is Upon Us, Mike Rothschild. Mike is a contributing writer for millennial-focused news and technology site, The Daily Dot, where he explores the intersections between internet culture and politics through the lens of conspiracy theories. As a subject matter expert in the field of fringe beliefs, Mike has been interviewed by The New York Times, The Washington Post, CNN, Yahoo, The Daily Beast, CBS, The San Francisco Chronicle, Rolling Stone, among many others. On October 5th, 2017, President Trump made a cryptic remark in the state dining room at a gathering of military officials. He said it felt like the calm before the storm, then refused to elaborate as puzzled journalists asked him to explain. But on the infamous message boards of 4chan, a mysterious poster going by Q Clarence Patriot, who claimed to be in military intelligence, began the elaboration on their own. In the days that followed, Q's wild yarn explaining Trump's remarks began to rival the sinister intricacies of a Tom Clancy novel, while satisfying the deepest desires of MAGA America. Did any of what Q predicted come to pass? Nope. Did that stop people from clinging to every word they were reading, expanding its mythology, and promoting it wider and wider? Nope. In Mike Rothschild's The Storm is Upon Us, the focus of this episode Conspiracy readers are whisked from the background conspiracies and cults that fed the Q phenomenon to its embrace by right-wing media and Donald Trump. In his book, Mike makes the compelling case that mocking the seeming madness of QAnon will get us nowhere. Rather, his impassioned reportage makes clear that it's critical to figure out what QAnon really is because QAnon and its relentlessly dark theory of everything isn't done yet. So in this episode... Mike and I discussed the appeal of QAnon to far too many Americans while considering how the mythology of QAnon somehow continues to endure. We explore how anti-Semitism is deeply baked into QAnon's mythology, how violent the movement has always been well before the January 6th insurrection. We talk about how the pandemic affected the QAnon movement, how one can potentially help release a family member from Q's spell, and much, much more. There truly isn't anyone better to talk to about this topic, and I have no doubt you're going to love this interview with Mike Rothschild. Cross the margin. Cross the margin. Podcast. So um, let's dive right in. I mean, you've been covering uh, QAnon for some time now, I guess since like 2018, if I'm right. Um, can you tell us how you came upon uh, the story, the, the, the whole movement and why you wanted to follow the story? Sure. So I've been writing about conspiracy theories and frauds and scams and hoaxes for a long time. And I I'd written about some very similar uh, kinds of frauds, and this is stuff I talk about in the book, 
Yep. Um, you know, these kinds of frauds where there's a, a you know, an all knowing guru who has secret intel that only the special chosen few can get access to. And what I saw in QAnon was something that was very similar to that, but there wasn't a financial aspect to it. There wasn't mm. a, a great uh, windfall that you would have. Mm. What you would have would be the good feelings that you would feel when your enemies were brought to justice. So it was selling your dreams coming true just in a different kind of way. Yeah. So, I, yeah, I, I mean, I even saw that you, I mean, not saw, I, I was reading the book, which is just, it's outstanding. It's, it's amazing how consummate the book is. It's really like a manual of, you know, really what's going on with QAnon. But you talked about how you came upon a picture of uh, John McCain and Hillary Clinton in, uh, in like orthopedic boots. And, you know, kind of, I, I guess they, the idea was they ha- were already in jail or something. And that kind of just launched you from there, like just piqued your interest right there. Yeah, it was this whole idea that Hillary Clinton and John McCain and, and you know, any of the other sort of older people in our government who... The baddies. You know, that, yeah, were, were um, not wearing orthopedic boots because they'd hurt their feet like the rest of us, but because they were secretly wearing these ankle bracelets that had yeah. been slapped on them when they were taken into custody in the storm. Wow. Yeah. And, and I thought that that was just amazing. I'm like, here is this fully formed mythology. It's got, um, you know, twists and turns and good guys and bad guys. Mm. And I, I followed it more just kind of out of amusement mm. than anything else. But, but then I really started to see not only the links to those scams and frauds, but I also saw in American politics there was starting to be more and more hope put on this endless series of documents and memos and investigations and reports and all of these things that would, you know, blow open all of the corruption and expose mm-hmm. the deep state, you know, it would be the, the Devin Nunez memo or the inspector general report or, you know, some investigation and all of them were being imbued with this idea that this would be the document that would change everything. And so when you combine that idea of this, this one thing that's going to change everything, along with a very jargon, kind of insidery kind of conspiracy theory, mm-hmm. you can really see why people got so deeply devoted to this so quickly. It really did kind of push all the buttons that people had with this, you know, this desire to see Trump validated, this desire to see these people who've been running things for so long be brought down. And it it quickly turned into a a lifestyle, a kind of way that you governed your life. And I could see the the addictive potential of that. Yeah, I mean, I think that's what's so fascinating. And I'm glad you steered us that way, because I think it's so important for us um, non-QAnon people or just, you know, outsiders looking into this world. And that's why your book's so helpful to help understand how people can fall under this spell. It's, it, it, there's so many things. And I, I'd like to hear a couple more things because there are like the list of like appealing aspects of why someone would be drawn to QAnon. I think it's important to discuss whether it's um, just, like the, the purpose of, you know, I mean, like you talk about the crux of it all is this this battle of good versus evil, but like the, there's, there's even more to it. It adds order to things for people. Like I, I would like to hear you, if you don't mind, talk a little bit about the 
appeal? Like what really, uh, community is another one. Like what brings people to QAnon? Sure. So the things that bring people to QAnon are really the, the things that bring people to any kind of organized conspiracy movement. It does provide community. It provides you with other people who you know believe the same things that you do. And these are usually things that are very outsidery. They're, they're very kind of jargon heavy. They depend on a lot of magical thinking. And they're things that a lot of other people don't really want to talk about. People don't want uh, you know, people don't want to spend their time talking about pedophile rings running the country. That's just not a thing most people are interested in. But if you get into something like QAnon, you've got other people there who provide you with that safety where you can talk about these things and you're encouraged to do so and you feel like you're figuring it out together. Yeah. Uh, QAnon also does what a lot of other conspiracy theories do in that it provides someone to blame. It, it provides you with somebody who has been working against you and trying to keep you down. You know, we really want to believe that we have very powerful enemies, that we matter enough for the people who are in charge of everything to turn their malevolent gaze toward us and, and mm -hmm. single us out for punishment. It's, it's a way of kind of elevating your ordinary life and turning it into something much more dangerous and much more interesting. And then you do have that concept of the battle between good and evil. And if you've if you've been immersed in that world and if you've been you know, really consuming a lot of conspiracy theory media about how awful the Clintons are and how awful George Soros is and how awful the you know, Hollywood elite and the banking elite and the political elite and these people are just, they hate you and they're trying to destroy you. And here's Q and it gives you a way to fight back. It puts yeah. you in the center of that battle. It's not the way most of these other conspiracy theories have been where, you know, you could read some book and it would tell you about all of these various cabals and committees and things that are running the world, but there's nothing you can do about it. With QAnon, you can fight back. You're making memes, you're decoding the drops, you're sharing videos and articles with friends you are there and you are doing your small part to push back at what's going on. And, and that was really the other thing that really concerned me was this idea of the, the bad guys are going to get what's coming to them, mm. but you can only tease people with that for so long before somebody decides that they're just going to do it themselves. And yeah. that's the thing that really, really pushed me over the edge with, mm. with Q where it went from sort of ridicule to a really deep concern. Yeah, that's when it comes comes off the computer and these digital soldiers, you know, become it, it comes really dangerous at that point. But yeah, that sense of purpose, community, even something I thought was very interesting, kind of like the dialogue, you can actually be fully involved in a way like you were communicating back and forth on these things. But uh, from your research, and I know you talked about it in your book, but I'd like to, uh, you know, ask again, but how many people are we talking about that uh, from just like it's I know it's it you, you mentioned it time and again, like it's so challenging to figure out and put your finger exactly on it. But how many people do you think we're talking about here? Yeah, polling on QAnon is really difficult because you're going to get people who will not admit that they believe in it. You know, they they'll say, well, I I'm not one of those crazy Q people. I don't think JFK Jr. is still alive. I just think a pedophile cult runs the world and the, you know, the Clintons eat babies, which is QAnon. Yeah. But I would say that the, the numbers of people who believe in it 
are probably fairly small in terms of the actual doctrine of QAnon itself, you know, the reading the drops and all this other stuff. But the number of people who believe that the election was stolen, that COVID-19 is a hoax, that ivermectin is the real cure for everything, that cancel culture is going to censor you and silence you, all of these sort of basic conservative beliefs that have really kind of taken hold in the party in the last couple of years, that number is really high. Yeah. So if you if you just go by, you know, who has posted QAnon slogans on their social media, it's probably not that high. But people who believe in the mythology of QAnon, the idea that a deep state runs the world, that mm. it's funded by you know, foreign money and you sure. know, Jewish bankers, that's going to be really high. And wow. unfortunately, that's something that people are all too happy to admit to now. Yep. Yep. That's crazy. You know what, like, always puzzles me is how QAnon kind of continued to endure even when all their predictions uh, were continually proven to be wrong time and time again. I was wondering if you could speak on that a little bit, like how do believers continue to believe when so many predict predictions that like, you know, whether they're Hillary going to jail or Trump's getting his, his, uh, you know, coming back into power, uh, Obama going to jail. Like how do these things that are proven false, these moments in time that they like pinpoint uh, don't happen? Like how, how do they continue to stay on board after these things don't happen? Yeah, you'd think that people would be jumping ship in droves when these things didn't come true. But prophetic movements are remarkably resistant to disconfirmation. Mm. Um, the, the people who are really, really deeply ensconced in these movements will just continue to believe and they will continue to talk themselves into sticking with the movement long after any rational person would realize hey, I got conned, I got fooled, I believe this because I wanted it to be true, but it's not, and I'm going to go back to my real life now. That's really not how these people work. They've, they've gone so far, they've given up so much. They have they've devoted their life to this. They've probably pushed away friends and family. Some people have quit, quit their jobs to research QAnon and other things like that. So at some point, the cost of walking away from it is higher than the cost of continuing mm. to believe in it. Because the worst thing that's going to happen is you're going to continue to be disappointed. If you walk away from it, you're never going to get what you want. You're, yeah. you're never going to have the vindication. At least if you're still part of the movement, you know, you can handle the disappointment together, but it's going to be even more awesome when it all finally happens. You're going to be able to show those people, hey, I hung in there and, and now I got everything I wanted. And now you're on the outside and you're the loser. So that's really what, what drives people sticking with this. It's the fact that they really don't have anywhere else to go. They can't go back to their uh, pre-Q life and they don't want to because their Q life is much more interesting. Wow. Yeah, I mean, just over and over again, you see them moving the goalposts and kind of wrapping what happened, each loss into the story, which is, which is it's, it's almost impressive in, it, in its wildness. But so you state early in the book, and I think this is really important that, you know, people who know QAnon wouldn't really be surprised about the violence that took place at the insurrection as QAnon has always been violent. You dig into this, in the, the, the idea in uh, chapter seven, uh, which is, uh, this is not a game, the many crimes of uh, 
QAnon supporters, where you lay out how Q's mythology has time and again spilled out into real world violence in the form of domestic terrorism and violent extremism. I was wondering if you could talk about that, like how how it has come off, you know, from the computer into like real life violence well before the insurrection that we saw. Yeah, so the the violent acts of Q believers started well before that. And, and the mm. first one that really stuck out to me, and I think just because it was so outsized, was the Hoover Dam incident. Mm. So you had a guy, um, uh, Matthew Wright, he was a, I believe he was an ex-Marine. He was absolutely convinced because of a Q drop that there was a secret unredacted inspector general report that would blow the lid off of all of the deep state corruption and all of the horrible things that the intelligence community had done to stop Trump. And this, this all came from a QDOC. There was no unredacted report. There was just a report. You know, that, that's a kind of the classic thing in conspiracy theories of, well, the document that got released is not the real document. You know, there, there's, a, there's a different document that's not redacted that is the truth, but it's stored away and they will never release it. In, in this case, this report was just a report. There, were, there was nothing there that was going to blow the lid off of anything. But this guy became convinced. So he drove to Hoover, Hoover Dam in his armored truck with a couple of firearms and I think 900 rounds of ammunition. And he started live streaming himself, begging President Trump to release the unredacted Inspector General report. That language comes straight from QAnon. There, there is nowhere else that that comes from. And this guy, uh, tourists are screaming and running for their lives. There's a police chase, his tires get shot out. You know, it's a miracle nobody was killed. But this guy was driven to commit an act of domestic terrorism because he thought that a Q drop was real. And then you started seeing kids getting kidnapped in custody disputes mm -hmm. driven by conspiracy theories and driven by lawyers who had bought into QAnon, this idea that these kids' fathers were going to sell them to child protective services or were going to turn them around for sex trafficking, all, all straight up QAnon stuff. None of this was happening. And it, there were I, at least three different kids who were kidnapped. One of the lawyers involved in the scheme was shot and killed by one of his clients. So you, you have these very personal acts that are being carried out with Q's mythology as a justification. And again, all of this was happening well before the insurrection. Yep. You know, the, the violence of that day, I don't think really surprised anybody who'd been paying attention was, to these yeah. movements because we'd seen what these people are capable of. Yeah, uh, yeah there was a line where QAnon has become both organized and violent quicker than any form of Islamic extremism. Let me, let me stop. Like asking QAnon questions real quick, Mike, and ask you like, how intense and and what was the process? It just made me think of it when you were talking about the drops and everything. Like, you, I mean, you went all in on this. The the research, everything. Like it, like what was it like connecting all these dots and digging through all these posts and all these wild stories? That uh, that like, it, what was the research like in this? How, like, I'd love to hear just a little bit about that process because it, it's amazing what you uncovered here. Well, thank you. And, you know, when you're researching something like QAnon, because it's so new, there's mm -hmm. no scholarship about, it. you know, you, there's no academic articles to reference. 
there's there's been very little writing about it that's not news writing. You know, there's not you were doing it in real time. I love. Uh, I'm sorry to interrupt you there, Mike, but you like mentioned. Uh, I think in the acknowledgments how it, like the process is like flying a kite in a hurricane because like everything is unfolding in real time. Yeah, everything is changing. You know, I I was watching January sixth on mm-hmm. TV as I was working on the book, and I and I realized, hey, I've got to rewrite the introduction to the book because this is this is basically the storm. I mean. This is as close as we're going to get. It's it's watching history and trying to write about history yeah. at the same time. Now, it did help that I'd done a lot of other writing about QAnon. And I kind of knew which of the drops and which of the kind of the storylines were really worth pursuing and which of them kind of fizzled out. There's definitely things in the Q drops that don't really go anywhere. Okay. There's kind of ideas that are brought up that you know that are never referenced again. Mm. So I did have a little bit of a short shortcut just because I've been following this for a while and I kind of knew what was important to get into, what what you know wasn't so important to get into. I also you know just my own personal interests, things like the um, the technical aspects of like how how some of these image boards work mm. is mm. not stuff that I really understand very well, and I don't Indeed. think most people really need to get into the weeds on that. Yep. So I knew very quickly I didn't want to get into a lot of the technical aspects because that's that's not as compelling as the human stories about this. Yep. So, you know, I, I knew that I wanted to just focus on the people who were involved in this, the loved ones who were left behind, and sort of how this all happened. And I'd been fortunate in that I'd kind of watched it all happen yep. and, you know, have it unfold itself in real time. Yeah, I'm, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring that up in a moment, like the human aspect. There's, there's the, like, you really bring us into like real human stories. And there's like, I don't know, I, I, like a lot of uh, people like me could almost like be, I don't know, not understanding of this type of like situation and, and, and lose empathy, it, the whole thing. I feel like there's like an empathetic uh, angle to your book that closes it out that I thought it was beautiful that I want to get to in a moment. But I want to ask real quick, I was really sickened to learn um, more about the depth of the kind of the anti like Semitism that's really baked into QAnon and the mythology. I didn't realize how deep it went there and I was disgusted and and I found it it, it really intense. Can you talk about how, you know, the uh, there the anti Semitic ideas and the the I mentioned baddies earlier, how like you know, uh, Jewish people are really looked at as villains. And it's just, uh, it's just, uh, it was a deeper part of QAnon than, than I even imagined that, that, that was wild to me. It's sad. Yeah, it is sad. It's, it's very sad and it's very, um, uncreative, you know, the Mm. idea that the the wealthy Jews run everything and we're just all, you know, minions in their game. That stuff is so old and so baked into conspiracy theory culture that, you know, you almost wish that Q had got, you know, put a little more effort into it. But the, the well you know, wealthy Jews have really stood in as, as scapegoats, as easy targets, as the string pullers who have all of the power and all of the, you know, wealth and will do anything to hang on to their power and, and their vast hordes of gold. And it's, it's, it's no different than countless other conspiracy theories. And of course, you saw that in the Q drops, you know, very early on. I think it's the second drop mentions George Soros. 
you know, it, it's, it's classic stuff that is going to get um, embraced by certain elements of places like 4chan, which are already deeply anti-Semitic. Yeah. You know, yeah. anything like that is immediately going to attract more people to it because it already hits those, those prejudices that these people have. These people have been told over and over again, wealthy Jews run everything. So, well, here's another way that they do it. And now we're going to fight back against them and we're going to expose them. So all of the anti-Semitism, you know, the, the blood libel, all of those things, that's mm-hmm. a classic part of QAnon. And then I think it's what has made it so durable is because it taps mm-hmm. into those things that are already very durable. Yeah, I like, I like the way you described it as like almost unimaginative and just kind of tapping into some hate that's been living for way, way too long. Um, QAnon, like so many things, changed a whole lot during the pandemic. Uh I think it's interesting, and I'd love to hear you talk about just a little bit how COVID altered or affected the movement, because obviously we're all, you know, stuck at home, and these are, quote unquote, digital soldiers. There's, uh, you know, that moment in time uh, definitely changed things, and, and I'd love to hear you talk about how. Yeah, so anytime you have a global event like a pandemic, like a world war, or a, a sort of a, a major political event that isn't supposed to happen, the assassination mm. of a president, something like that, that's always going to be a very prolific generator of conspiracy theories mm. because people are attempting to understand what's really going on. Yeah. And when you have something like the pandemic, you have a scientific understanding that's changing very quickly. You know, And, and we're all frustrated by it. You know, we're all like, well, we need to wipe everything down. Oh, wait, no, we don't need to wipe everything down. Mm. CD says, CDC says masks don't really do anything. Oh, CDC now says we have to wear masks everywhere. And people get frustrated by that because you never know if what you're doing is the right thing. But for most people, we think, well, this, you know, our understanding of this disease is changing and we're, we're getting better at trying to figure it out and understanding what works and what doesn't. For conspiracy theorists, they see that as proof that this is all planned. Mm. And so when everybody went inside, You had a lot of people who were isolated, cut off from their social systems, from their families, from their from their work, from social clubs and things like that. You had people who were alone and with a lot of time on their hands. And of course, a lot of people also lost their jobs because of the pandemic. And so you had people looking for someone to blame, for somebody to explain to them what was going on. How could this have happened? Mm -hmm. You know, how could this this disease have spread everywhere so fast? And people already have their baked in conspiracy theories and their biases. There are people who think 5G internet is, is harmful. People who think that you know, Bill Gates is the cause of, of all of our problems. So when you, when you have those people and you think, well, 5G internet has to be the thing that started this, this pandemic, you go online, you find your 5G internet Facebook group. And you're, everybody's complaining about that. And then somebody mentions or the algorithm recommends, hey, here's an anti-vaccine Facebook group that you might like. So you join that. And then, well, here's an anti-Bill Gates Facebook group that you might like. So you join that and you talk about how Bill Gates is a genocidal maniac. And then somebody recommends a QAnon or the Great Awakening or you know, Save the Children Facebook group. And after a while, you've radicalized yourself into a very violent um, you know, very anti-Semitic, very uh, almost anti-government conspiracy theory. And you weren't even really intending to do that. 
you were just looking to figure out what was going what's on. Happening. What's happening? And, and hey, here's a bunch of gurus who will tell you exactly what's happening. And oh, sell you some, some books and videos and podcasts to help you figure it out even more. Yeah, it was amazing how just that idea of it moving like wellness devotees or or even like left wing anti-vaxxers sure. toward the movement, it, mm -hmm. it that opportunity. But also, uh, and I, I hate to laugh uh, about some of these things, but just like it, because it's serious and there's serious repercussions of it. But some of the fake stories that came from the moment, whether it's the Oprah thing or the one mm -hmm. that really was blowing me away was the Wayfair um uh, taking yeah. children and, and yes, the the child trafficking based on the names of Wayfair cabinets <sighs> and some um, algorithmic hiccups and how these things were priced. Oh, and that took uh, off. That really it did. That really. Oh yeah, and that really radicalized people. There were people who were like, oh, you know, I just thought this was all a joke until I saw the Wayfair thing, and then I was like, I don't know why this is happening. There, I think they're really trafficking kids, and that's the thing is these things sound ridiculous like why would a company be advertising that it's selling children like yeah. that seems like a really good way to have everybody in your company end up in prison yeah. but when you believe in these kinds of theories you, mm -hmm. you tend to not ask yourself the very simple questions about them yeah you tend to believe that they're real you rationalize away anything about the conspiracy theory that doesn't make sense or doesn't really add up you know, that's all part of the disinformation. Mm. You talk yourself into believing the strangest, most unevidenced things just because they fit with how you are already seeing the world. Oh, it's it, it's it's like, and that's why the book just like was really eye-opening because it just, I don't know. I just have such a hard time understanding. Like I said, I don't want to laugh at those things. I, 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 I like, because I know people, there's real life, repercussions i just I, it's it helped me kind of get my head around the idea that people do believe this and there's a sensitive way you approach it which i thought was really really beautiful but uh i want to ask this uh qanon has clearly saturated the republican party you point out that between 2018 and 2020 nearly 100 republican can candidates declared themselves to be q believers with several of them actually winning the election like i mean how like did this come to be that like this one political party is 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 inundated with you and is is there a way in just your mind just your thoughts on this uh, of can they separate like what like what's how does that work moving forward is the Republican Party uh, just inundated with this movement and that's what it is. Well, I think that the Republican Party kind of um, made its bed when it mm. got involved with a presidential candidate who rose to political prominence based on conspiracy theories. You know, yeah. Donald Trump was not a politician. Yeah. It really wasn't until he started questioning where Barack Obama was born and tapping into what had been a very big moment, really. Yeah, the, the, the birth certificate thing really tapped into a very fringe type of Republican. Mm -hmm. There weren't that many of them, but they were really, really vocal about it. And you would have big, you know, big talk shows and major books written about, you know, where is the birth certificate? What else is he hiding? Trump really tapped into that and made it much more acceptable to insinuate that the president of the United States wasn't eligible to be president, was put into office by a giant conspiracy, 
um, murdered anybody who could have exposed it. You know, this was stuff that not that long ago really was the domain of like cranks. Mm. And Donald Trump suddenly made it really acceptable to talk about those things and to believe those things. And then you got to a point with the Republicans where a lot of them would would not endorse QAnon, mm-hmm. but they would say, well, you know, we don't want to tell people what to believe and, you know, we don't want to censor anyone's opinion. And, it, you know, that's not something I personally am, you know, believe in, but I, you know, I'm not going to tell anybody else and I can see why people would believe it. They didn't push back against it. They just sort of allowed it to happen without mm-hmm. without really endorsing it. And so then it became completely acceptable to air these bizarre conspiracy theories, knowing that you would get attention for doing it. If you, yep. you know, shared QAnon hashtags or talked about, you know, pedophile cults or something like that, yeah, the mainstream media would would make fun of you for it. But you Still, know, you're also getting mainstream right. coverage. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. So I alluded to it and, and I, it's kind of a good way to bring it home. I I, I did I found it's an incredibly like consummate, like QAnon, uh, almost manual that you laid out. <laughs> so impressive. But I, I did, and especially the way you ended, I found a lot of empathy in the book as it, it felt like as it came to a conclusion that there was an aim to like fully understand and almost like, like in, in like a real, uh, uh, again, I use the word empathetic way, like how people can buy into QAnon. Cause like, there's so many times you're just like, that's so insane, but you're like, you kind of lay out that like, wait, no, this is something that can happen to anyone. This is, you know, once you believe this, this, that, whatever, we've all had so many family members and everything, but you end the book kind of offering advice on how we can help some of these people, how we can reach out to them, how, you know, we all, a lot of us have family members that, that, you know, we want to help break free from the mythology. And I, I, like, I'd like to hear, and it's a great chapter of how you talk about how you can help us help them break free from some of this. But if you could offer some of that advice, I think, I think the listeners would love to hear you talk about like what we can potentially do if we have some of these people in our lives. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and the, the first thing to know is that you're not alone. You know, I've talked to so many people who have lost somebody to QAnon, lost somebody to COVID conspiracy theories, lost somebody to the stolen election movement. What you can do is understand that they won't leave this stuff behind unless they really want to, unless it stops working for them. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, you can't make that happen for somebody else. But what you can do is just let them know that you still care about them, you still love them, you you want them to be in your life, but you don't want the conspiracy. You don't want to talk about how... The, the cabal runs everything or that Trump is the secret president. They, mm. That's just not, just let them know. I don't want to talk about that. I'm and if you can't that, respect yeah. that, then, then I do need to walk away from you. Yeah. But you, you present yourself as a safe person, as a, as a landing spot. And, mm. and in, inevitably there is something that comes up that just doesn't make any sense. Yeah. That really cannot be reconciled with the mythology. And for some people, if they choose to pursue that, it will cause the entire thing to fall apart mm. and usually very quickly. Now that doesn't mean that getting out of these things is a quick process. It's very yeah. slow, but if they do decide that there is something about this that doesn't work for them and they have somebody in their life mm-hmm. who is safe to talk to, 
who who does still care about them, who's not going to make fun of them, who's not going to try to debate them or fact check them. None of that stuff works. But if you can present yourself as a safe space for them to work through some of these things, mm-hmm. then if they do start to pull out, you will be there and they will turn to you and then you can start to work on it together and you can unplug that person, you know, the, just the getting away from the constant churn of madness on social media, even for just a couple of days yeah. can be a really big factor in starting to break Plugging. that addiction. And then understand that there's going to be a lot of work for them to do. There's going to be a lot of amends to make. There's going to be a lot of kind of rebuilding of the ego and of realizing that, you know, you're never going to get closure with these things if you're walking away from it. Mm. But you come out of it as as a much better person and and a much happier person. So, you know, remind them of the joy that they used to have. Remind them of the person they used to be before all the madness set in. And understand that it's very difficult, it's very time consuming, and mm-hmm. that if you don't feel like you can do it safely, it is absolutely within your right to walk away. Yeah. Just your answer right there is kind of what I was talking about. It's, 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 uh, it, it's, I don't know. I, I just, for so long when I was reading about Q, it's so easy to dismiss and walk away. And you should, like you said, if, if it's not safe, but like, it just made me think that, like, I don't know, we need to embrace, we need to listen, we need to talk to these people. Just, there was, as much as it is, this, this, this amazing manual of what's happened and what's going on, there was, there, was, there was like a sweet side to it that I really, really appreciated. Let me ask you to close real quick. What do you think's next for this movement? Uh, what, 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 I mean, I guess people can repurpose this idea or whatever. What, what, what do you think about QAnon moving forward? I think it's going to continue to drop a lot of the mythology. You know, you, you're not seeing references to the Q drops as much. You're not seeing the hashtags and the slogans as much. You don't need them because this movement has become so mainstream that it doesn't need those kind of in-group signifiers that separate the people who believe from the people who don't. Now it's like everybody believes. And if you have a really mainstream movement like that, it doesn't need the jargon. So I think you're going to continue to see the, the, the growth and the merging of these movements. You know, you're going to continue to see the, the monetizing of the belief that the election was stolen in the power of the deep state, in COVID being a hoax. You're going to see all of those things continue to merge together, to grow, to bring more people in. And unfortunately, with elections coming up, you know, with the midterm election in just a few months and then you know, almost right away after that, we're going to start another presidential election cycle. The potential for conspiracy theories is enormous here. Uh, the potential for disinformation to try to drive people away from the polls is, is enormous here. Um, so I think while we maybe aren't grappling with QAnon itself as much, the ideas that drove QAnon are more popular than I've ever seen. Uh. That's a terrifying note to end on, but, but, but it, I mean, that's the truth. And that's what's, what, what's, you know, I, I talked about like the other angles of your book, how, how it, like the human element, but also this needs to be addressed, unpacked, uh, broken down. And you did such a great job and the storm is upon us. I, 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 there was so much that I didn't know about it. Um, you know, and I'm, I'm pretty tapped into these type of things, but there was eye opening as well. So the paperback comes out uh, in August. Is that true? Yes, paperbacks in out in August. The uh, hardcovers out right now. Awesome. Uh, the ebook, the audio book, uh, you can get it 
everywhere and in any form you can imagine. Yep, cool. Mike, thank you for your time. I really appreciate it. I learned so much in this book. Oh, good. Thank you. This was great. So I really appreciate the conversation as well. Absolutely. Me too. This podcast is in the loop, the Legion of Osiris podcasts. Osiris is creating a community that connects people like you with live experiences and podcasts about artists and topics you love. Get in the loop at osirispod.com.